Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find each and every one of you in super form. And thank you to a number of people who uh, pointed out the error I made when I was talking with Simon when I was teeing up something that's coming up on the programme uh, later on. It's actually the unveiling of a model train in uh, Ballinin and Eskeen uh, next Saturday. And it's an exact replica of uh, the trains that would have been in the West Cork area when the West Cork railway line was in operation that finished up in the early uh, 60s. But they've got a model train, replica of a model train that they're going to unveil and I said is a little bit like the Model T, uh, the Ford Model T car that the replica that's in uh, Ballinascarthy. But I, in error, said in a Shannon. I think I said it twice. It is, of course, in Ballinascarthy. And a number of people pointing that out. Joe McCarthy in Ballinascarthy would have my guts forgotten for getting that uh, mix up. So my apologies. But thank you to people who are very, very quick to point out, including somebody says, tut, tut, Patricia, not in a Shannon. It's Ballinascarthy. And that's from a, a tea enthusiast. Thank you for that. And they came in by text to 0862 John Paul, by the way, is taking your calls at 1850-333-103 and let us start the show by sparing a thought for all of the exam students who as we speak are not listening to the radio they're in heads down pens frantically writing their answers there's uh, just I think it's about 124,000 students are starting exams today and the advice to all of them is to stay positive and to stay calm over the coming weeks and that's where I think we as parents um, trying to support our young people through these exams that's what we've got to try and do we've got to try and stay calm and positive and pass that on to the young uh, people they're all in as we speak doing their first paper and the first paper is English and I think yeah, for both Leaving Cert and Junior Cert it's English for the Leaving Certs then they have Home Economics this afternoon and for the Junior Cert students this afternoon is the CSPE exam over 4 million papers have been distributed to about 5,200 examination centres dotted all over the country now this year the Leaving Cert timetable has been extended by an extra two days and that was to avoid sub- subject clashes and to limit days where students may be expected to sit three exams and I don't know how that would be even be possible for a student to sit three exams because it's usually one paper in the morning, one subject in the morning and one subject in the afternoon so I don't know but anyway they've decided to extend it out by two uh, days. The teachers unions are all coming out offering advice to the young people saying while exams are important students need to stay calm they need to stay positive and they also need to remember that they're not defined as a person by any 
set of exam results and all of us that went through the system can vouch for that but at the time you feel it is going to be your defining moment and of course now as you go through life you, you know you'd be slow you'd be hard pushed to even remember what you got in your Leaving Cert results. Common sense is important at this time is what the teachers unions are saying. Students should take care of themselves, try not to burn the candle at both ends. They need to eat properly, they need to sleep properly and they also need to make sure they get regular exercise and they need to get breaks from the uh, studies students need also. And this was a piece of advice we gave yesterday when we were chatting with Joe Heffernan. They need to uh, avoid the exam post-mortems and the inevitable social media hype. If you can get that message across to your young people, the exam is done. They can't change anything. They can't change any of the answers that they put down. So they just need to almost forget, absolutely forget about it and just move on to the next subject. But it's when the post-mortems begin and they start chatting with their friends. And now you've got the added one of social media where people will be, you know, young people will take to social media. If you could get them to put their phones down for the couple of weeks that the exams are on and tell them to avoid social media uh, completely. The Leaving Cert, by the way, will run until the 25th of June. So what's today? The 5th of June. So 20 days of of exams for the Leaving Cert students and for the Junior Cert it runs until the 19th of June. The Leaving Cert results are expected on August 13th which is always a nerve-wracking day and of course the Junior Cert results are expected sometime in September but just to think of them all this morning and uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're the type that lights candles there's great faith in the old candles and the prayers say to say an extra few today and light an extra few candles uh, for them all hopefully it's all going well now coming up on the programme this morning we're going to hear about a story that's come out from the HSC who that they are limiting the number of home help hours between now and uh, November and you, you kind of straight away think of the people that are already on a waiting list for home help hours. There's over 6,000 people already. And then you add to that the number of people who in the coming weeks and months will end up in hospital and then will need to be discharged from hospital but they can only go home if they have the necessary backup and help by having some kind of a home care package. And if there isn't home care packages and there are not home helps available, this is going to force people to stay in acute hospital beds or it'll force people into nursing homes. People who maybe didn't want to go into a nursing home don't necessarily need to be in a nursing home but they can't go home because they don't have any support. I mean and I know it's going to all come back to funding and they don't have enough money uh, I mean, it's got to be an area. But we've got this slaughter care that we've been talking about and that's all to do with care in the community. And it's been, you know, slaughter care has proven that if we do more care in the community, it's cheaper to look after a person at home than it is to look after a person in an acute hospital. And we need to be moving more and more towards that model and everybody accepts it is the best model. It's a model that's been used in other countries very successfully, but it is a way of saving on our health budget. It allows you to do more with the same budget. So I can't understand why we would be limiting the number of home help hours and the number of home care uh, packages. As I mentioned yesterday, I was over in Birmingham visiting family at the weekend and one of the relatives, an elderly gentleman had been, is 85 year old man, no, a, 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 a a very fit and a healthy 85-year-old man. But a number of weeks ago, he became very unwell and he ended up in hospital and he ended up in intensive care for a number of weeks and there was, you know, touch and go, would he actually make it or not? But he did and, and he's doing well. Uh, and he's then he then came out of intensive care and ended up in 
in hospital where he needed to get infusions of antibiotics twice a day and the infusion lasts about 45 minutes and he needs to get one in the morning and then one in the evening. And he was fed up of being in hospital. He's not the kind of man who likes to be in hospital and he's a great family uh, around him I have to say. But you know, they said to the hospital is there any way, you know, the dad can come home and, and he, his wife uh, is, is actually, she she in her younger life was, was a nurse so she's, you know, well able to look after him. So they have this facility available in Birmingham under a home care package where a nurse arrives in the morning to administer this infusion of an antibiotic gets put onto this strip for 45 minutes and then there's another nurse comes back in the evening and does it and that's been done seven days a week and like we were having you know some of the parties were happening in this gentleman's uh, house and we were there when the nurse arrived and we were all going in to say hi to her and whatever and but it was fantastic he's at home he is improving yeah, and you know daily you can see him improving and he's so much happier because he's at home he was going nuts inside in the hospital he wasn't eating properly and he was just getting very down from having been in hospital and he definitely is recovering quicker at home than he would be in hospital and I don't know if we operate a similar situation here the, the NHS over in England are operating that particular uh, service and it's done under home care packages I don't know if we do the same here but I thought how fantastic he was and we were discussing the fact that it would have cost the NHS so much more to have left this man because he would have been taken up in an acute bed but instead that bed is free for somebody else who needs it and who needs more care than he actually needed and yet he still needed care but now he's getting the care at home and I thought fantastic that is the way to go That and we are living longer. We have an ageing population. We need more of that type of service to be available and available in our homes. And, you know, people will get better quicker when they're at home. We know and we've heard it from our own health, the Minister for State for Older People, Jim Daly, uh, particularly when it comes to older people, you're better off at home than in hospital where you can pick up one of the hospital-inquired infections. So it's a win-win all uh, round. So we'll be discussing the home help uh, situation and I know there will be people listening who are desperate to get additional home help hours and are on that, are, are have applied for the first time and waiting to get a home help hours. Devastating for them. Devastating for the over 6,000 people who are on waiting lists to hear that there's going to be a very limited number of home, new home, additional home help hours given out between now and uh, November. We hear about this another invalid planning application for the new school campus which is so desperately needed in Carrick Tool. Carrick Tool is such a busy, busy area with a growing population. They've been crying out for new schools at both primary and secondary level. It's got to the stage where the for this certainly for secondary level, young people who who come through primary school, ready to go into secondary school, they can't facilitate all of the children from the area that need a place in the secondary school. So some of the pupils have to go outside of town and be bussed out of town. Our parents driving them, you know, miles to go to school every morning. I mean, that's just crazy. And they know they need they need this new school. But to have planning applications go in and then for them to be turned down because it's an invalid application just makes absolutely no sense. We will be returning to Neptune Stadium this morning for a story that we've had all over the news uh, today. The count continues for 
Ireland South. I don't know how many more days it is going to take. I don't know if it's going to manage to wrap up today. We're now at a count stage rather than a recount stage that we were talking about yesterday because Sinn Féin and Leah Niriada have withdrawn the request for a full recount of Ireland's South because when they went through the checking of the bundles yesterday, they realised while some mistakes had been identified, there wasn't enough for Leah to catch up with Grace O'Sullivan. So they withdrew the request for a full recount which which means now we go back to where we left off last Thursday is it at this stage and we're back at counting and we need to now count to see we have already two we have Sean Kelly and Billy Kelleher elected Mick Wallace is expected to take the third seat and then the battle will go on for the fourth who comes fourth and who comes uh, fifth so we'll get the very latest from Fiona Corcoran our senior news reporter live from uh, Neptune Stadium um, this morning Uh, and also on the uh, programme Peter Dowdrell because it's Wednesday so Peter Dowdrell will answer all of your gardening questions after half past 12 uh, today In a couple of minutes we're going to be talking about the HSC and this uh, problem that they seem to have with home help hours and they're going to limit the number of home help additions and new home help hours that they give out between now and November and I know we're going to get to the bottom of it and they were, the HSC are going to say we simply don't have enough money funds are running out uh, you know we have a budget for home helps and we're, we're at the as close to spending all of the money and we're only into the start of June so we have to limit the amount of home help hours that we give out between now and the end of the year uh, and while we'll be talking about that it's galling and I know people will find this quite hard to take that the HSE's annual report is out and it shows that a growing number of health staff are on six-figure salaries. A senior doctor received a bumper payment of nearly one million and the former the HSE's former Director General, Tony O'Brien, remember him? He resigned in May of last year in the middle of the Cervital Check uh, crisis. He got a severance package. He was paid €238,000 and that included a severance package of €98,558. But one, uh, a senior doctor though, was the one who got a massive payout. It was just under a million euro. It was made to the doctor in 2017. It included backdated arrears over several years. He got pay allowances, overtime, night duty, weekend and on call. And in total, he got one, just under one million euro when his basic salary was between 210,000 and 220,000. And that payment, by the way, did not include any private fees. So I don't know in total how much that man made during uh, 2017. Uh, Tony O'Brien was due to leave the HSE in July of last year, but he stepped down a couple of months earlier and he did resign as the controversy over women getting wrong. Cervical screening results uh, escalated. When he left with a salary payment of 139,000, then there was this severance package of just under 99,000. He also got 3,900 in expenses last year. And... uh, but that, of course, was only for up to May of last year in a full year, which was the year before. His expenses was uh, €12,460. And I just, I know that really, people get very, very annoyed when they hear of somebody whose wage packet is already good. You know, a wage packet of €140,000-odd, euro, you kind of think, would you not cover your own expenses when you're getting €140,000 a year? But no, he's entitled to that just over 12000 uh, of expenses as well. The annual report also shows 
630 HSE staff are on salaries of more than €200,000 last year. And then if you dig a little bit deeper, 15 of them earned more than €300,000. The report shows that income from patients with private health insurance, that fell last year. But the income from car parking charges, that's on the increase. Uh, The HSE made €12.2 million in income from car parking charges. The HSE in total received, this is in government funding, £14.6 billion, but then they also needed a bailout of £625 million, and that was after a major overspend. So there's a lot of money goes into the HSE. I mean, even the figure, their, their initial health budget of £12.6 billion. It's a huge, huge sum of money. And I know when we compare to other countries per head of population, we put an awful lot into our health uh, budget, some of the highest across the OECD countries. But for some reason, we just don't seem to be able to get it right. We get it right in some areas, but we certainly don't get it right in all areas. And one of the areas now we're going to be focusing on after the break is the whole area of home helps. As I mentioned, we're going to be returning to the Count Centre in Emo Rangers in after 11 with Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. Somebody has said, uh, Patricia, the election may well be over, but this poster is still up in Drum, Castletown Bear. And it is a, and they've sent on a picture. It is a poster of Leah Nereida. And obviously the Sinn Féin workers who were putting up the posters and taking down the posters have missed that one. So for anyone from the Sinn Féin party in West Cork, down Castletown Bear Way, Drum, Castletown Bear, there is a large the Sinn Féin poster still on the pole. Can you go and remove it please? And when you're removing it, don't forget to take down the cable ties as well. Now the Home Help Scheme, uh, a HSE service vital to ensure that elderly people can remain in their homes, has been largely closed to new applicants until November of this year. Responding to this decision by the HSE is West Cork Independent General Deputy Michael Collins who joins me. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Now, this comes at a time when there are over 6,000 people on the waiting list for home help hours. Has demand simply exceeded supply? It, it has exceeded uh, supply, Patricia, but this uh, should uh, be, have been forecasted by the HSE well in advance. I mean, you know, the, the, the home help services, you know and I know, has been an absolute uh, fantastic service to people that are uh, getting the service. And the fact that we're into the month of June and we have an overrun in the budget uh, sends very clear messages and signals to me that they completely underestimated um, uh, in this year's budget uh, what would be required going forward. And now it is unfortunate that the, 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 the elderly person in the home or the family that are trying to look after an elderly person are going to have to suffer. And we've been told not alone is there no new uh, home help hours available going forward, but they've also asked um, a lot of the, they've also requested that they cut existing hours. So what are we looking at here? Are we talking about people that are getting a half an hour? Are they going to be cut to 15 minutes? There's a whole platter of, 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 of um, uh, explanations needed here, and there's, it's a very, there's a very So, sorry, so you're, you're saying this decision will also affect existing home help hours? It will. It is made very clear by the HSE that they want to cut uh, existing home health hours. Not alone will they not provide new hours going forward. And I have a letter got here because many of my constituents raised this to me in the last two weeks who had elderly people in hospital who had been very ill. They wanted to bring them home. They obviously would provide the most of the service of, of 
caring for that person at home, but they needed a little bit of assistance uh, from the from the home health service. And I have a letter here, and I co- I read a quote from it. Obviously, I keep the person's identity. Um, uh, they, they want to remain anonymous, but at present, this is there is a set amount of funding available to provide home support services in your area. This is West Cork. Mm. As the available funding is fully allocated, we are regrettably not in a position to provide supports at this time. So that's that's what families are getting now when they realise, or sorry, when they contact the HSE looking for um, a home health service. And this contradicts completely everything this government has said to the about supporting community-based care and helping people to remain in their home for as long as possible. People will not be able to remain in their homes. If people are in hospital and want to come home, they won't be able to come home. Well, yeah, isn't that, I mean, that's, that's the added worry now, that you're going to have a person in an acute bed. A doctor will assess the person and say, yeah, you're good enough to go home, but you need to have a little bit of support. If there's no support for that person, that person remains in the acute bed. It is, and, and uh, this is going to again uh, for the pressure to our hospitals who are under immense pressure as it, as it stands. This whole thing is, is a complete debacle and it's a complete mess. And and, and f- to add further insult to injury here, in a reply uh, by the junior minister for, for uh, in, uh, in charge of the elderly in, in West Cork, in a reply to my question last week, he said that they can't get any home health people to carry out the service. That's the most incredible insult to every, mainly women, women that carry out the service in West Cork. Yeah, I heard, I, I heard, and I might get um, John Paul to actually get the piece from uh, Jim Daly responding to your question uh, last week. I mean, Jim Daly clearly said that the big, the, the main problem in West Cork, the biggest problem is getting personnel. Are you, so you're disputing that? Absolutely because I'm telling you Patricia, you, I have never met, and it's mainly women carry out the service, I've never met a woman that carries out the home health service that has, has said to me one thing, I would love more hours but they won't give me the hours. And their hours have been cut and cut and they're running from patient to patient they're doing absolute brilliant service for what they're doing and I, it was even brought up in the doll last week that this lady comes in and she's trying to do as much as she can and the woman said look all I want is some, someone to make a little bit of food for me, I don't, and she said I can't, I haven't got the time, I can't, for what I have to do but the problem is these ladies want to carry out their work and want extra hours to carry out their work properly and they're not being given it and all we're listening to the whole time of the we can't find any new people you, you use the existing people that are there and this is as an absolute insult to each and every one of these people that are carrying out the service and carrying out to the best of their ability to have that said above the dog and the reaction on my own uh, social media on Facebook to that when I put it up on Facebook people were furious home health people came out and they're very worried because they might lose their positions if they speak out openly well, I know, John Paul, since we started talking about the home helps this morning, John Paul has been receiving calls. I can see texts coming in. And that's the one problem that we have. Any of the ladies or gentlemen uh, as well who are working as home helps, which is their home care support assistance. But I think for the for the just for this interview, we call we'll call people home helps because that's what people know them as. Um, They'd love to talk out, but they're afraid that they that they will lose their job. If they speak but out. most certainly they're, they're terrified they lose their positions but they're, they're freely open, openly speaking to people like me that I've sat on with numerous uh, home helps in, in, in groups and in private and I've discussed their issues and they're absolutely stressed to the very end and they're, they're obviously trying to run their own homes and run their own lives but they can't, they're looking for extra hours. They won't be given extra hours. They're running and racing from place to place. They're under strict instruction and they cannot open their mouth because if they open their mouth, they feel their job is gone. No, well, here's an, 
example, Mary in, uh, she just signs it, Mary West Cork. I work as a home help. Yesterday I was told by management, because my roster is 32 hours and often I work more than that, I can only log in for 16 hours. I will only be paid for 16 hours. I cover mostly weekends and nights. It beggars belief, uh, says Mary in West Cork, who obviously is available to do additional hours, but is now has now been told she can't. And then another uh, home help person came on to John Paul and said that they're giving hours to private companies and the private companies are charging the HSC €27 an hour and those working for a private company earn 11 or €12 an hour. The HSC workers are not getting the hours. Uh, We'd love to go on air but we can't because we could lose our jobs. We still don't know what's happening with um, our our contracts. Is there a, a leaning towards using private companies and is there a belief and a feeling that they're trying to privatise it? I would say so. Um, and and the private companies are cleaning up, basically. And and this is where the budget has been wasted on, is on this, instead of focusing back on the, where the service, how it started, how it was rolled out properly, and, and, and work with the people that are on the ground working, and, 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 and the HSE continue the rollout of the service, they certainly are looking for a way out. I'm worried that they're tying it up with some sort of like a fair deal type system. Does that mean that people are going to be charged going forward? That has to be made very clear. It looks me is it could be a situation where we're looking at where the people that can pay the most will get the service. If you can't pay, you won't get the service. There's a whole class of things that need to be discussed here and, and out in the open open forum. And it hasn't happened. But I sat at, uh, in negotiations for the program for government and I wouldn't continue, I didn't continue that. Uh, I, I pulled out at some stage because I felt that they weren't being realistic to government. We spoke numerous occasions in the program government about the home health service and the care for people at their home. The, at that time, the government promised that they would give a seven-day week service to elderly in their homes. The only thing they've delivered right now in this letter, if you look at this letter, is that no one will get a service any day of the seven days of the week. So this is flies straight in the face of what the government has promised okay. the people and the, and, and, and the people that are going to suffer are the families and the elderly people in their homes. Okay, here's this. I, I just want to play this piece. This was uh, Jim Daly, uh, Minister for Older People, responding to your good self, uh, Michael, when you raised this issue uh, last week. As I said earlier, uh, the demand for home help uh, has always outstripped uh, the, the supply of it. One of the challenges that you, the deputies mentioned, uh, the area that I represent as well, West Cork, the biggest challenge there is getting people to provide the service. It's actually not the, the funding of the service, but the biggest challenge we have is, is getting personnel. Um, as I said, 300 million euro when this government came into office is how much we were spending on home help. 450 million we spent this year, so that's a 50% increase, but it still isn't meeting the demand that's there. And, and I've acknowledged that readily here. We are trying to bring in the statutory scheme. I've committed to doing that by 2021, where it will be based like the fair deal scheme that will be guaranteed by statute the availability of home health. Okay, and you, and I know we're getting calls in from home health distribution that as well, people saying that they're available for work. But just on the cost of home health, HSE, um, the, the HSE are attributing the restrictions down to the fact of these new contracts for health care support assistance, the home helps. They're now going to be paid for the time it takes them to travel to work. But the HSE have got to take that out of the existing budget. Yeah, and that, that is, that, that's an agreement um, that, that, that they knew was going to be coming along, along the line. You, you have to understand that these people are travelling from a home to home to home. They have to get some kind of an expense. They're using their own vehicles. They're using their own, it's their own time. And, and the HSE, you can't expect people to just turn up at the door, you'll get a half an hour here, but it, it takes you 15, 20, 25 minutes to get to the next place, and we're not going to give you anything 
for going to the next person until you get there. You can, that cannot, and nobody could expect that in, in any in any job, in fairness. They have to be uh, properly financially rewarded, these workers, because they do carry out a fabulous service. And the, the, the whole of all of this is here, and I'm convinced, and maybe people will argue with me that this is wrong, this is the follow-up now from the, 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 the overspend on the children's hospital. But uh, well, we're happy. getting calls, in, including one from John and Clannacilty, who says our home health bars are being cut. Fianna Gael have told all departments to cut back on spending and why to pay the 1.2 billion children's hospital. We're all going to pay for that big mistake, says John. And we're paying a heavy, heavy price, Patricia. And this is June, the month of June. And we have a home health service now that is completely stalled at this present time. Newcomers are coming in and maybe cut existing hours that are there. And this is up until November. This decision will have to be reversed. And there will be severe pressure put on the government to reverse this decision next Monday. Where Stew them in the doll will reconvene. Well, we'll be asking the question is, where is the but Why... Did they not uh, pre-forecast this this, this, this situation uh, well in advance? Because the, me, they cannot be telling people that they want to have people supported in their own home going forward if they can't support them, can't give the support uh, to the elderly going out there at the moment. Yeah, because is all this not at odds with Schlaunter Care, which puts the focus on care in the community? It is, and like, I mean, every time... We, we raise issues like this in the doll. They've been taught, telling us that, look, the, what we want is people to remain in their homes. What we're trying to do is uh, provide drop-down beds so that people can then gradually go home. People won't be able to go home. They won't be able to avail of any type of a home health service going forward. If you if you read uh, the extract that I uh, read from a letter from one of my constituents and further letters that have been sent out by the HSE to the health officials instructing them to cut the existing hours, they are unable to do that. And it has a serious effect on the people of West Cork and the worry for, for the elderly of West Cork because they are asking the question, am I... Is my hours going to be cut? Um, am I going to lose the service? Um, and, and people have been told that their hours are going to be cut. And I know it have been because I've been in, people have been in contact with me over the weekend since I see what was put up on, uh, on Facebook uh, after my question on Thursday. So we have a very serious situation here and I'd hope that we'd be able to reverse that decision next week. Okay, I think and, be very and, strong and Vin- all next week on this issue. Vincent in Newmarket just wants to raise the issue that this isn't just a West Cork issue. Uh, Vincent says he knows a person living in the Hollow area badly in need of home help. She can't get the hours uh, she needs as she's been applying and she simply has been uh, turned down to be told there was no home help uh, available. Okay, we will. it's an issue I know we will get back to again in the meantime. Michael, thank you for that and thanks, thanks. for joining us on the programme. That is uh, West Cork Doyle Deputy Michael Collins, 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls and I really do appreciate the home care support assistants who are contacting us. They'd love to go on, come on air and talk about it and talk about how, the, how their hours have been uh, affected but they, because of the nature of the job that they do and I'm assuming it's in the contractors that they sign that they can't go public and speak about what's happening to them but they're all just afraid of uh, losing their jobs but we appreciate uh, the calls and the texts that are coming in from them. Texts can come and WhatsApps to 0862 103 I will come back to that home help issue because I can still see a lot of calls and texts uh, coming in on it but I want to move on to a different topic because parents in Carrick Tool have been very frustrated with delays in building a three school campus which was promised way back in 2012 under the Rapid Build projects. Last Thursday I imagine that frustration turned to rage when the news that the latest planning application had been deemed invalid. Joining me to Radio O'Connell 
of the Carrick-Tuhill Schools Community Group. Good morning to you, Lorraine. Good morning, uh, Patricia, uh, and thanks again well, for having us on. You, well, you're welcome. This is not the first time that the planning application has been rejected by Cork County Council. What was wrong this time? Okay, so we. this is the third time now that the planning has been, twice it has been rescinded by the County Council on planning issues. This time, it appears that the size, size of the site um, is a problem in that it's 10.87 hectares. And once it goes over 10 hectares, it goes into a different level of, of a planning issue. So it means now that there is an environmental impact report that wasn't necessary to be done when the site was supposedly under 10 acres. But now that it has been pointed out that it's 10.87, this environmental impact study is compulsory and has to be done. Now, Patricia, this site didn't grow in size from the first planning, the Mm. second planning and the third planning. And it's never been highlighted before. It's never been highlighted before. The previous issues were um, quite obviously tick the box issues because they were fixed so quickly. I mean, within 10 days, um, the the last problem was actually fixed. But I mean, Patricia, this is gone beyond what's acceptable at any level here in Caratool. How long will an environmental impact study take? We can't get a specific answer on that, Patricia. I mean, I've done a little bit of background work in the last few days and it certainly depends on what's found there. So, I mean, they could go in. This could take anything up to a year. Um, oh. And yeah, so we don't know. We haven't gotten um, anything, any feedback from anyone. Um, there has been a couple of um, sites around the country that have been severely impacted by these environmental studies um, with maybe bats or worms or, you know, something that, that found on the site that was never highlighted before that nobody noticed until they went digging. So we don't know. Um, again, okay, now this this might be very simplistic, but is there a pitch, a soccer pitch or a GEA pitch that's included in the campus that would be the 0.87 that you could take out of the planning? Well, exactly. That's what we've, we've sort of highlighted and asked, can that be done? And to be fair, I, I think um, David Stanton was, has been on the phone every day to some of us here and we have offered a couple of solutions. There's one solution in that we could put, the planning permission could be put back in without the site, without the GA, without the pitch. Yeah. Um, and now, bring it in is, under the 10 hectares That is bring then. it right in under the 10 hectares. Now that's a very um, simple, easy way of doing it. But obviously, Patricia, nothing is going to be simple and easy with the, with this at, at the moment. Um, the immediate effect of it is, again, we are down the line with the building um, we have also suggested that maybe, you know, they look at, for, especially for Carrickfield Community College, for example, they now look at maybe hiring another building similar around Carrickfield in the same area um, to maybe put the senior cycle of the school in or something like that to try and get them some of them out of Porter Cabins. That we've requested meeting after meeting after meeting with Minister McHugh. Um, I know that our councillors and our local TDs have been trying to get us that. Um, it hasn't come forward yet. I, I do know there has been a bit of positive movement on getting us a meeting with him. Um, again, you might see on our page this morning, we've gotten a response from the new CEO of the uh, ETB, Dennis Leamy, mm. um, who, again, for me at the moment, it's all white noise because they're not actually doing anything. They're saying they're working in conjunction with them. But nobody, Patricia, has been held accountable for this. You have a firm of very reputable architects that are putting in this planning. They're doing it on the instruction of the Department of Education. So who's at fault? Who's, who is 
responsible for, again, this complete shambles of a planning commission put in. Well, in in the meantime, it is the pupils and the students that that are being affected. They get one shot at education. One shot, one shot. And Patricia, there are children from primary schools that are leaving in the next couple of weeks in primary schools here in the village who have spent maybe 70% of their primary school years in Porter Cabins and they are now going to Porter Cabins again for post-primary. It's not acceptable. You could imagine the fury here last Thursday. It was just fury. We all, I mean, there was one particular evening where a few of us were here in my house. Uh, women around a table and nobody talking. We just couldn't speak. I know. I can well understand why. Somebody's pointing out uh, with the, the cost of planning permissions uh, as well. There's, there's a cost involved in all of this. There's a cost for every planning permission. Um, it's €38,000 is the figure that we've been given. Now, we've also been told afterwards that if that planning permission has been rescinded for any reason, that is refunded. So it is 38, it's not 38 by 3 at the moment, it's 38,000 every time. So it, it's of no great, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's once or three times or five times, it shouldn't be, yeah, it shouldn't be yeah. paid in the first place. And then, and then even if planning was granted in the morning, Lorraine, it's going to take quite some time to build a school it, and as particularly on the campus, it's three schools, isn't it? Technically, it's what's three been built. Schools. Absolutely, there's three schools. I mean, three quite large schools. It's a, it's a huge campus, Patricia. I mean, 10 hectares is a huge amount of space. There's three very big, very large schools going on that campus. Um, they're saying rapid build, 18 months on the rapid build. Um, you know, how rapid is... Still the bones, it's still you know, the bones reason, of two years. It's still the bones of two years. So effectively, you're looking at the children that, you know, hung their hat on the ETB when they promised delivery of schools here in Carrick Tool. They hung their hat three years ago um, on going with the ETB and going with the school that was promised. And now they're going to finish out school with no... Yeah, because when I was looking at the dates of this, when the school campus, when we first started speaking about it was back in 2012 when it was first granted. The children that went into first year, they've left and everything, or they're at least doing their leaving cert now. They're, With well, all of those doing, promises, they, absolutely. Those well, I mean, Patricia, you know, twenty twelve. That was it was put on a building list. Then there yeah. was work going on. This was that need was identified way before twenty twelve yeah, for these yeah, schools. You know, yeah. oh, it's it's it is frustrating. And the exams begin have begun today. Exams in begun the today for the third years. Yeah, um, and wishing them all the best of luck yeah. in all the schools. To be fair, absolutely. Um, and look, and to be the teachers down here, the principals of all the three schools. I mean, they are working so hard, Patricia. It must be soul destroying for them as well to have to have gotten up last week to face this again. You know. Okay, well, the fight, the fight continues, and there's the a great bunch continues. of parents here. You're doing great. Keep it up, Lorraine. Um, we we'll keep you, in Patricia. contact with you, and thanks for joining us on the program this morning. And uh, thanks for the, all your all your help. No problem. Our, our pleasure. Thanks for that. Bye bye. That is Lorraine O'Connell of the Carrick Tool uh, Schools Community Group, and you really can sense, can't you, their frustration and what they are going through uh, to have had another invalid planning permission. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let me give you some updates on water outages. People have been contacting us. Could we find out what's up with their water? And more importantly, when will it be back? Uh, firstly, from the Ballysheehan uh, Mallow area, we've had some calls in, but on Irish water, they say a small number of properties in the Ballysheen area of Mallow have been affected by a burst water main. These properties were supplied by a booster station adjacent to the burst water main and the Irish water crews, crews as we speak, are on site working 
on returning the supply. They estimate their supply will be returned in the next couple of hours. However, they do say the customers may experience some discoloration in air in the water supply as it returns. Irish Water Coast will continue to work on the repair to the burst water main and that will be completed later today. And then there was a call in about the Kilworth area, another burst pipe there. And Irish Water tell us repairs to the burst water main will uh, affect supply in Kilworth and surrounding areas until about midday. Again, they're working on it, but they should have it back by about 12 o'clock today. So not much longer to wait. Also getting in reports of loose animals on the M8 motorway. It's between the junctions for Mitchellstown and the junction for Fomoy. I've no more than that. We'll see if we can get, if anybody else has been on that motorway can fill us in. I don't know what the, what kind of loose animals are we talking about? Horses? Are we talking about cattle? Uh, If anybody has any more information on that, if you've recently been driving on the M8 motorway between Mitchestown and Fomoy, can you update us please on reports of loose uh, animals? But drive with care, please. Because uh, a loose animal will be spooked and afraid and nervous with the volume of cars on that motorway, they can do colossal damage to a car. And you actually, and, and there could even be loss of life. So please drive with extreme uh, care. And if anybody knows any more on that particular story, give John Paul a buzz, 1850-333-103. I mentioned about posters being up and somebody spotted a poster for Leah Neorea down in Castletown Bear. Well, that's prompted John to say there is a poster in Lascarrel and two more in Churchtown. In Churchtown, they're back to back. You know the way they put the posters up back to back on a pole and therefore Sinn Féin's Melissa Malam, who unfortunately lost her seat. But there's a couple of posters still remaining there. So that's Sinn Féin again because the Castletown Bear one was Leonie Reader uh, for Sinn Féin and they've just, they had what was called a bad day at the office at this particular election and maybe that's, everyone is a bit down and they're not getting out as quick as they should be to take down all those posters but we're gone past the week that people were allowed and parties were allowed to keep their posters up and individuals and parties will be fined if they don't get those posters down. So anybody for Sinn Féin listening in the North Cork area, can you head to Liscarroll and Churchtown please to take down those posters. Now a huge reaction to our piece in the last hour with Michael, Deputy Michael Collins about the Home Help uh, Service and this directive that's come from the HSE. It's to remain largely closed to new applicants until next November and the HSE are saying you know they're going to run out of funds they're in one sense blaming one of the reasons for it that they're attributing the restrictions is a new nationally negotiated contract which sees healthcare support assistance the home helps paid for the time it takes them to travel to each person's home. The HSE say that the nine community healthcare organisations that all over the country, they're now expected to meet the additional needs from their home support services budget. So they're saying, you know, they had a budget. It was increased in 2019 and that, but that increase will not allow them to deliver an overall increase in the number of hours because the cost of the service has gone up because of this paying home support workers 
to travel and in between when they're going from one client to another client they're saying that's eating into their budget great to do that great to put that into the contract but they weren't given any additional funds some of your thoughts uh, coming in on this one Breda in Kiskame said I feel the government are putting families under huge pressure and uh, now Breda's been a bit cynical she reckons the government are deliberately putting families under pressure so that they will have no choice but to put their loved ones into a nursing home and that then will make the families have to sign up under the fair deal scheme. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the elderly people that are suffering, says our breather in uh, Kiss Game. Margaret, by email to Patricia at c103.ie, says, Patricia, many people have been told that only the actively dying will be allocated hours at the moment. The actively dying describes a person who is only days away from death. How callous a description of a loved one to a family who are already struggling to cope with so much on their own. Kind regards, Margaret. Oh my God, she get a... Le- and please don't say that that's put in writing to our family. Or has that been... Has somebody seen... Has that been actually put in, in a letter or in a directive that the hours will only be given to those that are actively dying? My goodness. That's very hard for families who are really struggling at the moment. And then a nurse contacted us on our Facebook page and this is to do with outpatient antibiotic therapy. When I mentioned when I was over in Birmingham at the weekend and a a family member has been released from hospital and he's on this antibiotic therapy where a nurse comes in in the morning and in the evening gives him an IV, drip goes up, she stays with him for the 45 minutes it takes for the drip for the antibiotic to go into him and then off she goes in her merry way and he's doing tremendously well and actually improving far quicker and getting stronger than if he was left in the hospital bed. And I was wondering, does it happen here? Well, lo and behold, it does. It's the Infectious Disease Service is responsible for the supervision of this outpatient antibiotic therapy, which is known as OPAT. Selected patients who need antibiotic therapy through a drip can receive their care in the comfort of their own home, reducing the length of their hospital stay while maintaining up optimal care. Uh, Before going home from hospital on OPAT, patients will meet one of the infectious diseases doctors and a clinical nurse specialist who will ensure that this is the best treatment for them and they're comfortable with the plan. Once at home patients undergoing outpatient antibiotic therapy are reviewed in the ID clinic on a weekly basis for monitoring and I'm assuming it's the same as what I witnessed in England is that a nurse comes in twice a day to administer the outpatient antibiotic therapy but it certainly is great and it's, it is a way of cutting down on people being in hospital beds who need care but don't necessarily need to be in an acute bed so I think if we can see more of that and I'm assuming under Slaunter Care because Slaunter Care is all about focusing on care in the community I'm assuming they are the kind of therapies and treatments that they are talking uh, about Billy and Lepp says how can they come up with $10 million dollars for the president's oh, for the security arrangement for President Trump vi- visit, yet they can't find any extra funds for home helps for for the home help service. I think Jim Daly needs to be asked about this situation. On WhatsApp, uh, we have a number of people commenting on WhatsApp. Hi, um, I am a home care assistant. It is not safe to send somebody into a client for half an hour. You're barely taking your coat off and you're putting it back on again. It's only a question of time before there's an accident because the home helps, they cut back, a lot of them were an hour and then they were cut back to half an hour. And, And I've heard that before 
from other home helps, they feel they're rushing. They feel, you know, they've got to get in there. They've got to get the jobs done. They're watching the clock the whole time. They have to get on to another client. They're only getting paid for a half an hour. So they're in and trying to get in and out as, as quick as they can. Now, I've also heard from home helps who only get paid for half an hour isn't possible to do whatever job they needed to do. I mean, you can imagine if it's getting, say, an elderly person out of bed in the morning, you know, who might need a wash, might be incontinent, might have had an accident overnight. Maybe they needed to be popped into the shower. It's impossible to get in and out in a half an hour. Now, some days it might be okay, but other days it isn't. And I have heard of home helps who can be there for 15, 20, half an hour more than the time they're allocated and they only get paid for the half an hour of allocated time. Some of the home helps really are amazing. I will, on the other side, say... I've also heard from families who say the home help runs in, barely does anything and runs out again. So I know there, there's good uh, there's good and bad apples in that bunch, unfortunately. Uh, Massey in West Cork says, Hi Patricia and John Paul, did the information on the home help cutbacks come out in inverted commas after the local and European elections? Question mark, question mark. Sly move by the government. Thanking you, says uh, Mossy. Uh, Jim Daly says this texture is now trying to say that these cuts are a result of the two extra hours per week that are due to be paid in July to home helps for the many hours they spent driving between clients at their own expense. Now, Patricia, they're only giving the two hours per week to anybody working less than 39 hours. And let's face it, we're all under 28 uh, hours says a texter who I'm assuming is a home help because they have a lot of detail there. Another texter says, uh, what about the fam? What about the families? Don't they have a duty of care to look after their own? I think families are looking after their inheritance. Michael Collins is always on about spending money, but can't tell us where he's going to get it from. Please ask him where the money is coming from. Will the taxpayer have to fund all of uh, this? Well, I suppose in Michael Collins defence, you know, he will point to the size of the HSE budget. It is a huge, huge budget. I gave the figure out there earlier when I was talking about the annual, the HSE's annual report, which is uh, just out. Their budget for last year was 14.6 billion. 14.6 billion. There was an overspend of over half a billion. They got an additional 625 million, which meant the total spend for last year was over 15 billion euro. So there is a lot of money there. I think what people point out is is how it's actually spent and the way it's distributed. And if we are looking at Sloan to care and if we are saying we want more care in community, then that's where they have to start putting the money into. You know, you if you probably heard a number of listeners when we started talking about the reduction in uh, home health, but not reduction, but uh, largely closed to new applicants. People saying this is all to do with the children's hospital and the overspend of the children's hospital. Money has to be found in other areas to cover that. And that shouldn't be at the expense of uh, elderly people. Um, Kionet, thank you for your text. Kionet in Clan says the Home Health Service is a great service. They deserve a lot more respect and support from government and, and families appreciate them. The government seems to want to subcontract this excellent survey service out to private companies. Um, is it not the same policy and attitude with the agency nurses, says Kionet in Clannacilty? And I know a lot of the home helps, the home support care assistance they themselves will have a sneaking feeling that the HSE want this want to go down the route of it's all run 
by private companies and get rid of their own home health service. It's never, there's never been anything in print from the HSC. They've never come out and done a study and said, you know, that looked at and pointed to how they could justify the home health service being run by private company as opposed to the HSC. Now, at the moment, a lot of home health hours are already provided by the private companies and only for the private companies we would even have less home help hours than we currently have. Okay, that's some of your thoughts and comments coming uh, coming in uh, to us. Uh, 1850 Just on a couple of uh, other issues. John in Cork says, Patricia, now that the elections are over and our recycling bill bins are full of election material, I would like to put a suggestion out for future elections. If all the candidates could come together and put their literature in a booklet form, they should also put into the booklet information which would be of benefit and of interest to the household. Things like advice on making a will, inheritance tax, details on the fair deal scheme, pensions, social welfare benefits, etc. People would be less likely to throw out the booklet and candidates would actually have a better chance that people might read their profile, says John in Cork, which is a jolly good idea, John. And particularly with the additional information, people would hang on to the booklet. But you're right, I am putting out my, getting ready to put my recycling bin out tonight for tomorrow morning and that's one of the things that I have to put into my recycling bin this time round is all of the election material that came through the letterbox. Now I had a folder now before people think gosh you off your head um, I had a folder that every piece of literature that came through my door I kept but that was for research for the programme and in preparation for getting ready for the election and, and for the count so I've kept every single piece of literature that has come in and I was only going through it the other day uh, because I wanted to count how many pieces came in and there wasn't as many as I had thought there would be uh, actually but the one thing that I did and have to say was a good idea this year was all of the literature that came from the European elections there was one piece per candidate now, not all of the counties I did not all of the counties I did get 23 pieces of literature I have to say I got them from all of the major parties and a few of the independents again not all of them but they came to the household and my address was on it because that's always annoying and it certainly happens in a general election when some of the larger parties start to send literature out by post and they'll send they they get their list from the Register of Electors so they'll know all the houses that have a vote and it always annoys me when at one stage there would have been three votes in our house there's only two now but when three pieces of literature would arrive in one named to each person and they were cards you know there wasn't that they were envelopes that you had to open up they were done you know the very same way as the ones that we got for the Europeans and for the local elections and it was always frustrating so I'm hoping now from here on in that we never see that again. But I do think John might be on to a good suggestion. Now, how you would get everyone involved in agreeing it, John, because you'd have to have all of the main political parties involved and you would also then have to allow for all of the independents to get involved. How it would be funded, I don't know. Would every candidate pay a percentage towards it? 
that be? How fair would that be, though, to independent candidates who might run on a shoestring in a budget? What if they couldn't afford to be in the bu- in the booklet? I'm just teasing out ideas here, John. But I certainly do think it's a good idea and would cut down on a lot of election material that is ending up and has already ended up in recycling bins over the last month or so. I have lost count of the number of texts and John Paul would have got calls in from people saying that as soon as it came in the letterbox it went straight into the bin. You know, the, a number of people would say to me they didn't even read it and because I, I was trying to say that to people particularly for the European elections you know, read up on the candidates before you went in to the ballot box because with the 23 candidates you really needed to know before you went in who you were giving your votes to or else you were going to be there half the day. But yeah, and I imagine if I now did a bit of a poll as to how many people did exactly what I'm describing, it came in the letterbox and did you put it straight into the bin or did you make yourself a nice cup of coffee and maybe sat down in the quiet of the evening time, all the children in bed and you got a quiet moment and did you read through all of the literature that came through the uh, letterbox. I'd love to hear from people as to what they actually did with all of the literature. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c103.ie. Lorry driver wanted for full-time work. It's nationwide work. A minimum of a C licence is required. Kitchen assistant is required to work on a casual basis and in a healthcare facility in Dungorny. Full-time beauty therapist required. It's for Living Beauty Day Spa. That's in Mallow. And industrial painters are wanted for work in July. Own tools and up-to-date certs are uh, required. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, yesterday morning, we were mentioning that Nemo Rangers was once again the focus for the Ireland South European elections with a recheck getting underway at 9am yesterday morning. Things unfolded as the day went on. And to update us, our senior news reporter, uh, Fiona Corcoran. Uh, Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Fiona, this time yesterday, it it wasn't a full recount they were at. It was just a recheck. That's right. Now, um, just to kind of add confusion to the whole thing, we did have a recheck of the two candidates' papers last Thursday, but that was what they called a partial recheck. So they have bundles of votes that are bundles of 50, um, uh, or papers, bundles of papers that are in 50. Um, sorry, what am I trying to say? Yeah, they're in bundles <laughs> yeah. of 50. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what they did on Thursday was they just checked the top uh, bundle and if that was Leonie Reedus or Grace O'Sullivan then they deemed the whole um, bundle as being that of Leah's or Grace's and that's the way they did the recheck on Thursday. So yesterday they did a full recheck so they went through every single paper. There was nearly 200,000 papers to go through. They went through all of that here yesterday just of the two candidates again um, and at the end of that at the end of the count yesterday um, the difference um, was very, very small. Grace Sullivan, I think, went ahead of Leah by another 46 uh, votes. Um, 
So after that result came in, the Sinn Féin party and Ian Reid had decided that um, there was no point in continuing with the full recount. They didn't think that they would be able to make up the difference. And they had a meeting amongst themselves yesterday um, and they, they were obviously talking by telephone to uh, Leonie Rida as well. And then just at around a quarter past six yesterday, they told us that um, they were that they had withdrawn their request for a full recount and that Leah had conceded the feet and she was um, hunting, had lost her seat in Europe. So, so um, she wasn't there yesterday? No, but she's actually here now. I see her over the hall, yeah. So um, she hasn't spoken to any media here yet this morning, but we think she might talk to us now in the next few minutes. Um, now, she did issue a statement yesterday evening and she congratulated Grace O'Sullivan um, and she, she spoke about, you know, how uh, upset she was for her, uh, for the people who worked for her and, um, you know, how they had fought a hard campaign and she was upset, obviously, to lose her seat in Europe. Um, but, uh yeah, we'll see there now if she if she have a chat with if us she, as well. she talks. So what's happening now? So her votes, there's just over 98,000 votes. They're being redistributed here this morning to the remaining candidates who are Independence Change, Mick Wallace, um, Fine Gael, Deirdre Clune and the Green Party's Grace O'Sullivan. Now, the reason why they're doing that, because it's a five-seat constituency, we have five candidates, because Sean Kelly and Billy Kelleher have already been deemed elected. So the reason why they have to do this here today is because of this fifth seat, the holding seat, the Brexit seat, and that comes into effect um, after Brexit. So obviously the, there's a battle now between the fourth and the fifth candidate as to who's going to get that seat and who's going to get the fourth seat. So the, the lie of the land is uh, Mick Wallace looks like he's going to be elected in around lunchtime today. He's um, he's on about 113,000 and the quota is 119,000. Okay. Um, so we reckon that he's going to be elected today. Then after that, either his surplus votes will be distributed um, between Deirdre Clune and Grace O'Sullivan. But if his surplus votes um, do not um, exceed the difference between them, uh, two candidates at the minute, then they will just deem all five of them elected, and whoever then after Leah's in whatever in whatever order. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now Leah's votes will, as you say, will definitely elect Mick Wallace. Is it a possibility it could also elect either Deirdre or Grace? Um. Uh, sorry, I'm distracted there, Patricia, because Leah's just doing. Um, she's speaking to the press there. But, okay, I'm just saying, is is it possible that Leah's votes, the distribution of Leah's votes, could actually elect more than Mick Wallace? Um, no, I don't think so. No, okay. um, Deirdre Clune is on 101,000, and Leah is on 98,000. So they'd have to, um, like Deirdre Clune would have to get over 18,000 votes. She's unlikely to get that from Leonie Reid. Yeah, now, yeah. I thought that um, she could get a big chunk of her votes because of the Cork element, but some people are saying to me that that probably wouldn't be enough, that uh, Grace O'Sullivan is likely to get more of uh, Leah's uh, transfers than Deirdre, 
because yeah. of the party politics. Yeah, Sinn Féin, so, Sinn Féin would transfer more to the Greens than they would to Fine Gael. I'll let you go and yeah. I'll let you go. And, Thank um, you, Mr. Uh, you know, you're okay. Talking to the press you're okay. Go, go, go. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, joining us uh, live from Nemo Rangers with what is going on there. And if anything breaks this morning because the counting is underway and if we do here, I mean, in, in what we're what's expected next to come out from Nemo Rangers is the election of Mick Wallace and then it will be all to play for between Deirdre Clune of Fina Gale who is the sitting MEP and Grace O'Sullivan of the Green Party. It'll be all to play for the two of them. They're going to get a seat but is which seat they're going to get. Nobody really wants that seat in waiting. Everybody wants to be, you know, there and there straight away rather than the unknown because it really is uh, the great unknown 1850 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and don't forget today is Wednesday because of the bank holiday weekend it only feels like Tuesday it is Wednesday that means Peter Dowdell joins us in after half past 12 today so if you've got a gardening question some have already come in keep those coming and uh, we'll put them to uh, Peter later on today. Balanine and Enniskeen Tidy Towns are unveiling a high-precision, historically accurate replica model train at the entrance to Balanine and Enniskeen Community Centre. It's all happening this Saturday at three o'clock. Joining me with more details, Chairperson of the local Tidy Towns Group, and that is Margaret O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well. Now, I've seen a photograph and it looks absolutely fabulous. Describe it uh, to us, please. Well, the train, as you said at the outset, is a historically accurate uh, replica model train uh, replicating the trains that were on the West Cork Railway line prior to its closure on the 31st of March 1961. Indeed, it's a quarter scale steel structure and uh, it comprises it will it comprises an engine and two carriages and it has been constructed for us by Stroke Fabrications, a local company. So it's very much, it brings back, I suppose, for the older people and even for myself, um, you know, memories of the trains that chugged along the line throughout yeah. the century-long history. And can I say for children, particularly little boys who seem to be really into trains, yes. um, they're going to love this. Yeah, indeed, little boys and the little girls. I, yeah. I mean, it has brought out the child in me, you know, myself, watching it through the various stages of construction and and completion. You know, it's just, I suppose it's such an important part of our history yeah, yeah. And, and of this of this area, you know, of the economic and, and the social history, because uh, it was a, a huge, uh, hugely important economically, because all the commercial life and freight passed through the stations in West Cork. And of course, socially as well, mm. because it provided a vital link between rural West Cork and the outside world. As at that time, of course, other other modes of travel were limited at the time, so it was hugely important. And even now, um, Margaret, I, I, there isn't a month goes by I'd say that somebody doesn't bemoan the fact that the railway oh, line indeed. into West Cork uh, is gone. I mean, when we talk about the conditions of roads with potholes, etc., and and even you know when people talk about you know drinking and driving and yes. needing an alternative public transport system what a great system and service we had in west cork and they thought they were being modern at the time I in, know. Get, in getting rid I of it i know absolutely crazy at the time i yeah. suppose you know other circumstances pertained at the time and you yeah. know as you say thinking they were you know being modern and indeed the decision to close it was just passed by a single vote of the board of Corazon Pereira on the 26th of September 1960 wow so just one single vote Wow. And uh, apparently it was due to accumulated financial losses in the preceding years and an increase at the time in the use of road traffic 
and apparently falling passenger numbers. Yeah, people in the 60s were starting to buy cars, weren't starting they? Starting to buy and cars and I suppose this idea that Ireland was becoming a more outward looking country and that, uh, you know, put that in inverted commas I suppose, yeah, outward yeah. looking but that, the, you know, having arrived would be to have a car and have and have road transport. I think it was how they conceptualised what modernisation was at that time. Short sighted. We look at it We're great looking back in Indeed. hindsight. So who came up with the idea for the model train? Well, I suppose it was our Tidy Towns Association when, you know, kind of a brainstormer. We felt that Ballinina and Inneskeen, I mean, we're located on the R586, that road, wedged between the N71 to the south on the Wild Atlantic Way and then to the north, the N22, you know, that goes through from Ballincollig to McCroom. So, yeah. uh, and this road here, the R586, used to be a national primary road, uh, the road that goes straight to Bantry, but it was degraded some time ago uh, to the R586. And we felt that maybe in some way that we are, you know, missing out or that we're, this advantage might be too strong a word by the fact that the road, and people, you know, tourists or whatever are diverted on, to the other roads. You know, so we just said, look, we need to look at sustainability for ourselves, yeah. sustainable growth and development of our villages, of our community in this component and this part of West Cork. Uh, that when you leave Bandon to come through in a skiing ballonine onto Dunmanway, Drimalig and to Bantry, that we need to have, I suppose, a broader view of what we can we can do with our villages. And we came up with this package that may be a heritage trail are looking at what we have to offer historically, looking what we what our package is, mm. in other words, you know, that we have our own sort of blueprint for what we would like. And we just thought, you know, getting some iconic structures and putting things in place for our own community, for the local people, but also for the visitor to the area. Give them a reason to stop. Absolutely, to give yeah. them a reason to I stop. I mentioned earlier, I mean, look at Banniscarthy with their model 4T, indeed. you know what I mean? And the amount of people that stop there for that. Uh, indeed, we looked at Banniscarthy and said, OK, the model, model T and Dunman may have the Sam Maguire. Yeah. And we said, OK, what have we that's different <laughs> or that was important for this area? And of course, there could only be one answer, which was the train. The train. How the train. is it funded, by the way? It is funded, um, funded by Cork County Council great. and sponsorship, very, the great generosity of local businesses who have responded to the, to the, the call yeah. to assist. And I suppose local businesses seeing the importance of this artefact and what it means socially, economically, in every way, what it means to the villages. So we're absolutely acknowledge the, the um, contribution of local businesses as well as Cork County Council have been most supportive as well in our endeavours well and done. continue to be. They're fantastic. Will this add points for tiny towns for your marking? Well, <laughs> I suppose, hopefully, we're yeah. sure that I'm sure it will impress the judges because it is a very significant structure. Uh, it should do. But if not, I mean, we're looking at the broader picture anyway of what it will mean for the villagers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I just thought that as an aside, it would be nice yeah. if you got an extra few marks. Uh, most certainly. <laughs> but it's really essentially about pride and community. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, again, about enhancing these villages and the road all the way, I suppose, to Bantry on this route is what I term the West Cork's middle corridor. Mm. I should patent it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the term, the WCMC, as I said, trying to find the acronym, West Cork's middle corridor that needs to be, you know, that needs development and that needs investment maybe and maybe to upgrade the road as well. And that yeah. might be something down the line that, you know, we have, um, 
we have the uh, transport, um, you know, we have the National Transport Authority and we have looking at the plans for 2040, strat- the transport strategy for 2040. Maybe that's something that could be looked at as well, you know, and to give well clarity done. Well to... Done. And, and, and you're not sitting around on your laurels waiting for everybody else to do it for you. You're doing it yourselves. Well, I think it's important that communities, you know, set the agenda for themselves as well. And uh, I suppose we have a lot of volunteerism, which is a huge part of the work. People volu- very hard working, dedicated, tidy towns committee. Um, have you a large group that go out regularly? or is We it... have a large group of yeah. members. People go out to do different co- aspects of the work. I mean, we have a beautiful um, uh, biodiversity garden in, down by the river in Ballanine, which was recently uh, refurbished, I suppose, renovated with, you know, biodiversity, with uh, bee aware and butterfly aware plants, etc. So it's a whole package. And the, the and the, the postcard garden from Ballinina and Skeen, that did really well. It bloomed, didn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I got highly commended. Absolutely. And that was an endeavour by a, a number of groups, the Heritage Group, the Ballinina Skeen Development Association and ourselves. So it's really, it's, I suppose, to, to revitalise the villages. It's this whole idea of pride in community. And I think it's, it, it's important that we take ownership of that ourselves and that villages do that in yeah. rural Ireland, you know. Nobody and will come and do it for you, Margaret. No, and, <laughs> but I think it's very much part of the Irish tradition, really, is to volunteer and to work. It's the whole sense of community, isn't it? It is, Patricia? it is, absolutely. Yeah. And I can just imagine the excitement on Sunday for the on unveiling. Saturday, yes, on Saturday, Saturday, sorry. What's the plan for the unveiling? Well, our unveiling is at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And uh, we hope, hopefully, that the, the rain will hold off. Um, it will be outdoor, obviously, and we have two uh, uh, two gentlemen coming to talk about the train. One of them is coming from Dublin, Michael O'Brien. His dad was the last signalman, and Ray Good from Gagan, who worked on the train, so yeah. it's very, very interesting. And um, thanks to the West Cork Railways um, model village in Clannacilty, they're bringing their choo-choo train along. Oh, fabulous. So, uh, and we have face painting and music and everything. It's going to be a village party, so... And it's not just for us here in the villages, I suppose, but for everybody. It's open to everybody. It's open to everybody. So we would love to see the West Cork community come out. And it's it's a, it's really um, a celebration for West Cork as well. You know, okay. well and, and well enjoy and it, and hopefully the sun will shine. It's a it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful um, initiative and an achievement, I think, for everybody because it really does look uh, stunning. Uh, and I look forward to see it, to, to to seeing it when I'm next down that way. Listen, mm-hmm. Margaret, thanks and you're very me. welcome to come I, along. What, Saturday afternoon. I, w- I would have loved to have been there, but unfortunately, I have a prior engagement, uh, so I can't make it down. But I, I, I certainly on my next visit, I'll, I'll be looking out to get my picture taken with the choo choo. Listen, thanks a million for joining Thank you us. So much. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. What a, the, that's that wonderful spirit that's there in rural Ireland and long may that spirit stay alive of everybody helping everybody else out and everybody doing something for the good of the greater community it really is uh, terrific so best of luck to everybody involved Ballinine Enniskeen uh, Tidy Towns uh, group and everybody involved in the unveiling of that replica model train at the entrance to the community centre Ballinine Enniskeen Saturday at at 3 o'clock John Paul's taking your calls 1850 333103 we are looking for for gardening questions in particular because after half past 12 Peter Dowdle our resident gardener will join us Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt Now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Uh, so you can call John paul you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I was speaking in the last hour uh, with uh, the lovely Margaret O'Donovan from Ballinine and Eskeen. She's chairperson of the local Tidy Towns and we were talking about the fact that on Saturday they're going to be unveiling this replica of this train, a train that would have travelled on the West Cork railway line prior to its closure in 1961. A lovely chat with Margaret and we were talking, you know, about tourism and about, you know, looking after areas yourself and looking after them, not just for your, not just for tourists, but also for, you know, the community spirit to look after the towns and the villages where we live and, and are proud to live uh, in. And, and she was talking about, you know, the great work of the Tidy Towns Group and what an active Tidy Towns Group they have in Ballinine and Eskeen. Well, that prompted Connie in Bantry to contact us when we were talking about the area because he said last Sunday he was travelling via Ballinine. I think he was going to the Inishan Steam and Vintage Festival. Anyway, he was travelling to Ballinine Balanine and he needed to use the toilet so he stopped off and he went into the gents toilet and he said it was in an absolutely shocking state he said if he'd been a tourist visiting the area he would have been totally shocked he said it was worse than dirt he said there was poo smeared all over the place. He said he couldn't believe it. He worked in London for 15 years and he said, I thought when I worked in London, I'd seen it all when it came to public toilets. But he said nothing on the scale of the gents' toilet in Ballinine last Sunday. Now, I don't know. I haven't been in the public toilets in Ballinine, so I don't know if this is an ongoing issue. We do have many areas have a problem with public toilets that they're just... The council will say they do the best that they can, but people go in and abuse them. 
antisocial behaviour can go on around a lot of these toilets. And because of that, and because of the condition of some of these toilets, many towns and villages don't have public toilets anymore. The council just got rid of them. They don't always have the staff to be able to go out on a regular basis. I mean, public toilets, do they need to be cleaned every day? Are they cleaned every day? Are they checked every day? Is it every second day? I don't know how that actually operates. And I'm wondering for Balanine, is it the council's responsibility? Don't think that's the responsibility. Certainly it's not the responsibility of the tidy town. So I take it it's the council. So we're going to just try and find out what's going on with the public toilet in Ballinine and the gents and the the way Connie has described the gents do I assume that the ladies toilet is as bad or is it just the gents do Connie just happen to arrive on a particularly bad day that it isn't normally like that but to have excrement smeared all over the place goodness me you would just walk straight out again that really is very disappointing to hear and then Equally disappointing to hear is a text in from one of our listeners who says, Hello Patricia, I went to the lovely Donnerell Park in North Cork for a walk yesterday afternoon and we had a lovely tea in the tea rooms. Unfortunately, on the way back to the car park, a group of about five boys. Now this texter says they look local. I don't know if they were locals or not, but they were five young boys. They were aged approximately from sixth class to second year. So we're talking young teens or preteens. And I'm assuming yesterday afternoon would have been, oh, yeah, I was going to say, would, it, would they have all been in secondary school? Because they, they would be off. They were already on their holidays. But of course, if it was after school hours, it could have been primary school children as well. But anyway, but it's that young age group, kind of the 12, 13, 14, that sort of age group group of about five of them. They were standing blocking the steps in Donnerill Park and just generally acting cheekily and being intimidating and just being brazen. They were staring this listener down with her kids and mocking them, you know, and shouting things, just being stupid and messy. Then they ended up pulling down their tracksuits and their boxer shorts and, you know, wiggling their backsides and exposing their backsides to this lady and her children, you know, thinking it was all very funny. They were then flinging hurlies through the air and hopping them off trees, etc. And then they were messing in the toilets. Unfortunately, wasn't able to allow my children to go to the park. There's a play area for people outside who don't know Donnerill Park. There's gorgeous walks, but there's also a really good play park for the, for the children, which is a huge attraction uh, for children. And it's got all recently done up a few years ago and it's great. And it's always a very busy uh, spot. Anyway, listener says, wasn't able to allow the children to go near the park because of the intimidation of these young fellas. So we had to go straight into the car and we had to go home as the place was very quiet. And my children were actually afraid of the carry on of these boys. It's a pity, says this sister, that parents don't keep tra- keep track of what their children are up to. Now I've gone, I go, I go a lot to. I haven't been there enough that much this year, but I, I'm I'm a great fan of Donnerill Park. It's it, the walks are absolutely beautiful, gorgeous on a summer's day. It's a busy busy, busy spot uh, in the summer. I mean, that play park will be full of children and there's lovely areas for people to sit down and have picnics and there's picnic tables and it's, it is very, very busy. And I have to say, in all of my years going to Donnerill Park, I've never come across something like that and I'm hoping that this isn't a new trend that we're going to start seeing because we're at the start of the very long summer holidays for that age group of boys and girls 
who, you know, will be getting bored and mightn't have anything better to do. And you are right, the parents should know what they're up to because I guarantee none of them went home and says, God, get Mammy and Daddy, guess what we did inside in Donnerell Park today? We were shouting at people and we pulled down our trousers and exposed our rear ends. Aren't we a great laugh? So, yes, you are right. The parents don't know what they're getting up to. That doesn't justify what they're doing. And parents should maybe know what they're getting up to. But we'll give it out because, as I say, I don't know if that is a very, very isolated incident or is this, has this happened to anybody else? Has anybody else been out in Donnerell Park and come across that? And to feel so intimidated by these young pups who need a good kick up the rear end that they were exposing, but you wouldn't be allowed to do that, would you, today? But is it is it a new phenomenon or is it just a very isolated incident? Anyway, if anybody else can tell us if they've seen or witnessed something similar in Donnerell Park or does anybody know who these young fellas are? Uh, 1850-333-103. Now, here's an interesting one. Back to the toilets in Ballinine for Connie in Bantry who went to use them last Sunday. A listener has just said and I know John Paul is trying to find out more about the public toilets in Ballinine. A listener has just said the public toilets in Ballinine were closed by the council last year. I'm wondering says this texter how did Connie get in? There's clearly a sign saying that the toilets are closed and usually when they close public toilets they close them off completely in that they'll you know they'll padlock them. Has that is has it obviously isn't padlocked because Connie walked in and didn't obviously didn't see any sign that the public toilets were closed. But it would sort of explain if they've been closed for over a year why they're in the condition that Connie described. Anyway, we're trying to get more from the council. I'm trying to find out about it, so leave that with us. But thank you for the person who sent that text in with that additional uh, information. Okay, back to the home help issue. Jill says, some home helps are not good. Others are great. I know all about this, says Jill. She very much sounds like she's speaking from experience. And somebody else who is speaking from experience is a texter that says, my mother-in-law has a home help for three and a half hours a week. And often says this texture, she doesn't turn up and she'll give very little notice to the fact that she's not going to turn up and when she's there she's only passing time. Now, see what annoys me there is, and I did mention this earlier, we've got some wonderful home helps and when we talk about home helps we'll get people ring up and they'll name a particular home help and we'll say only for them. You know, they would not be getting out of bed in the morning. They wouldn't be surviving. And and families will call us about particular home helps and the wonderful care and attention that they give to their mum or to their dad or their granny or their grandfather or whatever it is. But then we will also hear of others who say that they don't think their home help is doing what they're meant to be doing. And it saddens me because the, the bad home helps are doing no service to the good home helps. And as long as people remain quiet and don't complain when a home help isn't doing what they're meant to be doing. They're doing a disservice to the good home helps because everyone then has a tendency to get tired with the same brush. So I always say that to people when somebody will contact us to say that they're not happy. And it's not just home helps, even with a particular service. If you're not happy with with something, nothing is going to change unless we complain and unless we point out when something uh, is wrong and it's it certainly is very valid when it comes to uh, home helps if you're not happy I would say first of all speak to the home help to say I, you know I'm not happy with what's going on here and see does it change and then if it doesn't go up along uh, the line 
Uh, Michael says, uh, hi, Patricia, how are you? What are shorts? This is back to home helps and the limiting the amount of home help to be given out between now and November. Uh, what a short-sighted stupid and dangerous decision. People who are living at home with a little support will now end up in, acute, in an acute hospital bed or will end up needing nursing home care which will then end up costing the HSE a hell of a lot more in the long term. Also, carers depend on this service to assist them. If they reach burnout, what happens then? You'll end up with two ill people, both needing help. Our elderly need to be looked after. They have worked so hard and now when they need a little help, they are left down completely by the HSE and more importantly by our government. This is so sad to see. Money being wasted left, right and centre in other areas and nothing's been said about that. What a country we live in. And that's from Michael by text to 0862 103 103. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Patricia, a lot of politicians seem to be very staying very quiet on these cuts to the home help hours. They need to be speaking up now. They will be judged on their stand and they will be before the people again. 1850 I can see gardening questions. Can you keep those coming as well, uh, please? Uh, because Peter Dowdell will be uh, joining us. And also just the phone lines have been very busy, by the way. Um, our apologies. John Paul is doing the best that he can to get through all of the calls. We always say to people, there's a particular point you want to make and you're not getting through on the phone lines. If you email us, we uh, are not emailing us, even text us and we'll give you a call back when the phones get a little bit quieter. But they have been very busy, particularly since 12. So our apologies if you've been trying to uh, get uh, through to John Paul. Now, Michael in Glengariff is on the comment uh, line. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon. Now, this is to do with public toilets and public toilets in Glengariff. Are they in wonderful condition? Public toilets in Glengariff, they've been done up newly and uh, nice job done them. But the Great. Like that, there were. I was in there Monday, and there was excrement smeared on the ceiling and around the walls. On the ceiling. On the ceiling, yes, and it's a high ceiling. So, like, it was deliberately someone vandalising the place. Good God! Yeah, and um, there was, must have been a door damage there, so there was a door replaced. But uh, they put in a door that hadn't been treated so obviously when it went into a damp area it has all swollen now and gone shabby looking you know and one, going into one of the toilets And when you say that the public toilets were done up how long ago were they done up? They were just done up a couple of years ago you know and a nice job done them And now but, they're in what you're describing as pretty pretty bad condition well, it was obviously it needs to be cleaned off. Like, but you can imagine someone going to the trouble, of, you know, doing that. Just terrible, really. Like, you know, shocking. I mean, and what's the solution? We've seen other areas they don't have public toilets because that kind of messing goes on. Well, obviously they have to be more. And these are, I'd say, they might be locked by night. Like, but you know, need to be a night kept out, and you know, and watch and see. And these people need to be caught. And, and yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and I don't, I don't know how often the council get around to checking all of the toilets. I mean, is it, is it a daily basis? Would they be checked? They'd be checked daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you you've know. what you've described had that only recently happened, or was it there? Well, 
It seemed fresh, yeah, yeah. Did it? Ah, just after happening, I'd say over the weekend, like you it know. must have been dis- the smell must have been disgusting. Well, there, there wasn't really, but you know, it was just uh, you could see that it was there, like you know, it didn't develop. Ah, quite, like you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, an animal wouldn't do that. An animal wouldn't yeah. be able to get it up on the ceiling. <laughs> this is it, Shocking. Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah. listen. Thanks for that. Okay, thank Thanks you. Thanks for that. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty at three 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 one zero three. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Now, Lichine House in Skibbereen, they're hosting a suicide prevention training evening in the hall. It's on this evening between 7 and 10pm. It's a free event and it's open to anyone over the age of 18. And I'm Cara in Cork, the organisation that supports bereaved parents. They're holding a summer remembrance event. It's in the lock in uh, Cork, half past seven this evening. And it'll be followed by tea and coffee in the Hawthorne. Sunflower Day for Marymount Hospice that'll be held on this Saturday volunteers are needed to help with collections especially in Charleville Town and they're also looking for people to give up a couple of hours in the city centre if you can help out even for an hour can you call 021 Marymount Hospice needs to raise 3.5 million and that's just to maintain their current level of uh, service and the Hazelwood Tennis Club, they have a fundraising table quiz going on tomorrow night in Springford Hall, half past eight. Tables for €40, Euro, please. And Ballinhas Community Development, they've got a fundraising social dance in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic. That's this Friday night with music by Declan Anger and it's uh, dancing from 9.45. And just on the issue of uh, public toilets, some of your calls uh, coming in. We were in Baltimore last Monday, said Teresa. I would like to congratulate Baltimore on their public toilets. They were of a very high standard. They were five star, said Teresa. No, not often you hear a public toilet getting a five star. Well done, uh, and it's good to acknowledge the good with the bad is it uh, not uh, Hi Patricia my daughter works in a roadside shop and one day excrement was on the floor in the sink and on the soap dispenser the toilet by the way is a disabled toilet toilet, but it wasn't being used by anyone in a wheelchair or anyone with special needs the clowns who did this should remember that there's CCTV in all of the shops I was in Dublin airport yesterday and the men's toilet entrance near arrivals at Terminal 2 were clean but the smell when you went in was as bad as a dead animal truck oh Dear God. See, bad smells turn my stomach. I'd be gawking all over the place. And hi, Patricia, says a WhatsApper. Public toilets in Ireland are always bad. Can we not look at Europe and see how they maintain their toilets? We all have examples of awful toilets. I was in Mokra's house last summer. It was an extremely busy day. Glorious. There were toilets off the car park. They were relatively clean, but there was no toilet roll. There was lots of Spanish students going in and coming out, looking to see did anybody have tissues. It was just all so embarrassing. Surely a site as busy as as that could employ someone to look after the toilets. It really was a shame. And thanks, by the way, to that lady, Margaret, who was from the Margaret from the Tidy Towns in Ballinine Enniskeen. What a great ambassador for West Cork. I'm going to go on Saturday, come rain or shine. She sold it to me. <laughs> That's from Jane. Thank you for that, Jane. And have a lovely day out in Ballinine uh, Enniskeen. Uh, 1850-333-103. I want to go back to the comment line. This is on something completely different and this is to do with buying petrol. Uh, JJ joins me. Good afternoon to you, JJ. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. Can I just say one thing there? I, I was listening to radio, another radio station during the week. Now, you weren't on at the time, so that's why I was listening. <laughs> that's the reason I was, right? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, what they did, I think was one in the Scandinavian com- countries, they actually have a, a portable loo going around in a van, and you ring the van, <laughs> and the van comes around and it's flushed and everything, so maybe there's the solution. Cork County Council should get, employ a portable van. And, and it'll give a man a job, or a woman a job, <laughs> dri- driving the toilet around. OK, now this, you contacted us about the price of petrol. Now, firstly, are you the type of person that keeps an eye on the price of petrol to try to get, you know, what Conor Faulkner says... Shop around Absolutely. and, and well, you are. Okay. Absolutely, I think. No, in, in everything, in everything, just, just, and I won't just digress, but even this year my car insurance was up and I rang the lady at nine o'clock in the morning and she said, I'm not going to name the company, and she said, that's the best price you, we, we're going to give you. And I said, between me and the wall, you know that's rubbish because I ring back at five o'clock with two different quotes and you match it. And lo and behold, Trish, when I rang back at five o'clock, they, they, they knocked 150 euros off it. So yeah. I said, tell people out there, you know, just just don't don't believe. First of all, I, I, I look in my opinion, and it's my opinion that companies that say go online and do stuff. I think you 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 can't beat ringing up, saying talking. What yeah, to absolutely, work. absolutely, and we've proven that so many times with listeners. When I say to people, uh, and and older people have a tendency to be very brand loyal, and yeah. they'll stick with whoever they've been with. And I know when it comes to health insurance, some older people are absolutely getting fleeced. But I know only lately we had somebody contacted us on behalf of her parents. She heard me talk, or they heard me talk about the car insurance. Mm. I think they saved 240 euro. They were delighted with themselves. Oh, absolutely. And look, look, this morning, what happened to me? I pulled in for petrol and and the price, I think, was 140, whatever it was, 148 or what have you. And I was looking at it and I was putting in the petrol and I said, what's the price on the actual screen, you know? And the price on the, on the screen was actually different. Um, I think it was. I'll just get it there. No, actually, it was. It was. It, it was. It was nearly a cent of a difference. Um, I saw. I went into the shop and I said to. I said to the lady behind the counter. I said, "What's your just what?" I said, "Oh, actually, I said, I said, can I have my receipt, please?" So when she handed me the receipt, um, on the receipt it said. So what it actually said on the receipt was it said, uh, one forty six. So. But what was advertised on the pump was one forty. So I went mm. in and I said, "Sorry, I should be getting what I paid for." That's that's what I was paying for. What was on the pump? Yeah. And she panicked straight away. And I think actually, and I, I can't be sure. I'm sure it was one forty-eight on the sign. So she panicked and she said, "Oh, she started going old diesel, and you can't be right." And I said, "Well, I said first of all, I've taken a picture of it on my camera phone, so I said I have a record of it, so so we can look at that." But it was, we walked out and we looked at the at the pump, and lo and behold, it was one forty. So she had to refund me the money. Now, I was putting 20 euros of petrol in my car today, yeah. so I got two euros back. But if you think about it, if I was putting 40 euros of petrol into or my a car... a full tank. A full tank. That's a fiver, can, no, people yeah. might say. But like people that are doing a lot of driving and the price of petrol has went, you know, has been astronomical. I know quite recently I was up and down to Clander over a weekend and I know that... I'd say, I'd say the petrol, the 50 euros, it cost me up and down. But if everybody that drove into the petrol station... You know, if that's wrong, first of all, first of all, they're being charged for something, they're paying for something that they're not getting. So I would say to people, when you're going into your petrol station this evening, have a look what comes up on the screen. So when it says that, you know, and you're filling your, your, your car and it says, but have a look at that price and then have a look at the price that's up, that they've advertised on the big screen. Mm. But then more importantly, have a look at the price on the receipt. On the receipt, it'll tell you. 
So, for example, it says it says this morning that I got 13.7 litres at 1.46, but I didn't actually, because what I should have got according to the pump was, was 13 litres at, at 1.40. Yeah. I got two, those people say that's real. Do you know what? Two euros is a good It might as well be in your pocket and not in somebody else's pocket. But you're saying there was three different. There was the. It looks to me that there was two three. three yeah. yeah, there was three different prices. No, I might be wrong in saying that, but yeah. there's definitely two, but I'm nearly. I didn't get a chance to go back. Now, to be fair to the, the station, you know, one said to me, oh my God, we didn't realise it, and thanks very much. I'd say she was. I'd say she was terrified. That's probably. Half a cock city we're going to probably go <laughs> produce a receipt. But you know, it brings me on to another issue and local as well. And I, 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 it's another thing. I can't understand why petrol is so cheap in Skibbereen. I was down around Baltimore last Sunday week and I noticed it again. So it's as cheap as some parts of the city of the best prices in the city. And then when you come up the road, you go through the, you know, the other towns and you go west, the price goes back up and somebody can't explain that to me either. So why is petrol so cheap in Skibbereen? Well, and, and any time we look into this and we challenge garages over, they say they set the price based on what they buy in the petrol at. Mm. And they might get petrol, I don't know, every three weeks. If it's a busy garage, maybe every week, I don't know. And it's the price that's set on that day. And that's why, you know, you can have an amber garage mm. and two miles down the road, another amber garage with a different price. They, I, they bought I, it in. They bought it in at a different price. That's what they say. But you are right. I mean, you drive out from Dublin Airport. Mm. The first garage you you meet is one of the most expensive garages in the country. And what's that to try and catch the tourists and people hiring cars? But are they, are, come here, is, is, is there what I'd like to know? No, is there some sort of a little? Is there some sort of a little platform off Skibreen somewhere that they're importing oil or something that we don't know about? <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's a question that has to be answered. You reckon it's one of the cheapest? Skibreen is. Yeah, it, it okay. is. There's a, there's, I, I won't name the place, but if you're coming out in the Cock Road, there's definitely one I got on Sunday, and it's as cheap as any of the cheap. Look, I, I and I, we I, often hear from tr- people going to Tralee. Yeah. saying Tralee seems to be cheap for petrol as well for some reason. I well, don't know there why. is Tesco's, without naming a place, have a petrol that did that some years ago, opened the place and everybody around it had to cut. But I know, for example, there is there is a chain of, of, of petrol stations and there you'd think that they'd all be buying, you know, because they, they'd all buy at the same time. Well, they should be all buying, they're able to buy months in advance because yeah. they're a large... Uh, and what, what I notice is that in some places they're very cheap, but in some places they're not, depending depending on what the other petrol stations are around yeah. them. So they measure what's around them. But I just thought this this morning, I would say to anybody buying petrol this evening, see, if, if, if it's different, if, if remember what, what's displayed is what you purchase it. So if you go into your, your, your local shop this evening and you buy your bar of chocolate and it says a euro and you go to the till and it's one twenty. You're paying what's displayed, and that's, yeah, that's yeah. the law. All right, JJ, good to talk to you. Thank you for that. All right, and uh, thanks. Uh, bye bye. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us on vandalism. Um, 150, oh, 150 new plants on the pedestrian cycle walkway to Tremor Valley Park from the South Douglas Road were vandalised and uprooted last night. Isn't that shocking? And the park staff, as we speak, are trying to rescue some of the plants this morning. Oh, for God's sake, you can see the pictures of the damage. We have them up on our C103 Facebook page. Just shocking. And you just are fearful that is this kind of antisocial behaviour and this kind of vandalism, it's the start of the long summer holiday. Are we going to start seeing more and more of this kind of and, you know, vandalism or the antisocial behaviour that the mum described when she was with her children in the park, in Donnerhead Park. Are we just going to start seeing more and more of that? 
parents need to know what their young people are up to. Can I go back to public toilets for a minute? Mary says the public toilets in Bantry are always spotless. I would like to pay tribute to whoever cleans them, says Mary. So I don't know, I take it it's a member of the council staff. Is it in Bantry cleans the public toilet? If it is, take a bow. They are uh, excellent. And Tom says, Patricia, if anybody wants to see state-of-the-art public toilets, then please pay a visit to Fomoy. They are amazing. They are maintained and cleaned on a daily basis. You can't find a cleaner facility in Ireland. Well done to Fomoy County Council for keeping their toilets uh, so well. And that's from Tom. Thank you. 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break. We're back getting your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowdle. If you've got a gardening question, you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, our resident uh, gardener, NourishGardener.com, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. You How su- are you? You survived Bloom. You know, we've had Chelsea, Mallow and Bloom all yeah. within kind of two weeks and I, I'm just out the other end and I kind of don't even know which way is up to be honest <laughs> Patricia it's just, you, you can only take in so much but yeah we've survived we've survived now yeah, the other end That's great that's great uh, and great to know that the numbers were, were there was great numbers of both Mallow and Bloom which is which is terrific uh, yeah. pe- people love their gardening okay and I know by the list of questions in front of me there's certainly uh, a lot of people want to pick your brain let me start with uh, John question for Peter please could you ask Peter how do I get a nice rich green colour on my lawn without promoting further growth that's a tough one uh, yes well it'd be surprised it isn't it isn't there's a product called instant green which is uh, as the fellow says does exactly so, as it says on the tin, tin. Uh, it greens up your lawn it's, it's basically uh, chelated iron it's liquid chelated iron so it greens up the lawn literally overnight and oh. I've used it I have used it it greens it immediately now it doesn't it doesn't uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't promote further growth because I'm sure it probably does in fact there's a bit of iron in it but um it doesn't promote it in the same way as a high nitrogen feed would. So any of the things that I would normally recommend, your lawn goals and things like this, would be more for kind of general grass growth as opposed to give it a short, sharp shock, if you like, whereas the instant green is just that. In other words, if you have something coming up, like, and perhaps he does, if you have a, you know, a communion or a birthday or a wedding and you just want the lawn to look very well for this weekend, uh, well, then instant green is what I'd look for. It's an excellent liquid lawn tonic and I've used it and it, it's very, very good. Okay, I planted dahlia bulbs, bulbs, says a listener, this year. I've now just noticed that the leaves are being eaten. What could be the cause of that? Slugs. Slugs, I would say, most likely. Yeah. Slugs and snails. So get out either with your beer traps or uh, get some of the organic ferric phosphate pellets. I would say, if, if anybody's listening, uh, when they're looking for slug pellets, do take that 10 seconds just to look at the active ingredient. If it's a thing called metaldehyde, leave it behind you because it's a highly, highly toxic substance, not just to slugs and snails, but also to, to all of us, to humans and to, to domestic pets, children, everything. Unfortunately, And it kills birds as well, doesn't it? It kills birds and yeah. the hedgehogs, kills all the predators, and it's unfortunately... Um, widely available over the counter in Ireland in, in any of your supermarkets or garden centres a lot of the slug pellets most of the slug pellets will contain metaldehyde so with all the talk of sustainability and species extinction it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to Are we not getting effort. close to getting rid of those products? doesn't look like it they're still all over the supermarkets I'm not going to name any of them by name but have a look at them and next time you're in a supermarket you'll see it on the shelf next to very close to fresh fruit and veg you'll see these and uh, just to give people an idea in case they think I'm just going off on a rant this, these slug pellets that active ingredient metaldehyde is banned in most countries 
freely available in Ireland. It's banned now in England as well. Uh, but Ireland, no. no. So, so Stokes is what's causing the problem. Okay. Uh, so get out with beer traps before I go off on too much of a okay. rant. <laughs> uh, uh, get out with the beer traps. Ferric phosphate slug pellets. Um, also, speaking of Mallow, Finbar O'Neill, O'Neill's Quarry were there in Mallow uh, with a great display of their stones and slate mulches. And the slate mulch actually acts as a very good deterrent to slugs and snails. They just find it too difficult to get across it. So that's something worth looking at. Yeah. If, even if you're starting off in a new garden, look at using it as a mulch. Or even in a situation like this, Maybe you don't want to mulch the whole garden with slate, but it might be an idea to go a foot or two diameter around your dahlias with the plum slate, and uh, that can help as a very, very uh, organic, totally organic way of of, uh, of creating a barrier. Of dealing with it. Okay, hi. What is the best variety of rhododendron tree to plant? It's a very big area and space. Okay, that's, a, that's I'm afraid, an impossible question to answer, but because... Uh, there are, I think there's over about 6,000 varieties and cultivars of, of rhododendrons and they grow everything from, uh, believe it or not, from 15 centimetres, which is just six inches in height, and all the way up to the, the huge ones, the which will get to, you know, 100 in the, feet. In, in the, in the, if you go up around by the V, we were just talking about the rhododendron walking festival. It's just yeah. a wash with rhododendron at the moment. Now, on saying that, the, the best one to, to, to plant is, is an impossible question to answer, but the one not to plant is the one growing in the V, yeah. because while it looks stunning uh, in West Cork and Kerry and around the V, it does look gorgeous in flower, but it's highly, highly invasive. So the one you don't want to plant is one called Rhododendron Ponticum. So do not, under any circumstances, plant that. Because would you even be able to everywhere. buy? Would you be even able to buy that? No, you wouldn't. No. But you know the way. You know the way, Trish. Somebody can give you. Oh, here's a slip off a plant that had, or you know that kind of thing. So don't, under any circumstances, introduce that to your garden. Look for cultivated forms. There are many from which to choose, and the reason I'm hesitating in giving an answer is because of the difference in height and the difference in colour shades. Uh, the important thing is that you have an acid soil. Position the rhododendron somewhere where they're not facing south or east, or they'll burn. They won't thrive. Um, look maybe for some. There's the Yakushimainum hybrids. Now, Yakushimaina is a, an island off Japan, which is where some of them are native to. And the Yak hybrids, for short, uh, the Yak hybrids will only grow, depending on the variety, between three to kind of six feet. So they're relatively well-behaved, if you like, in terms of height. Now, maybe he wants a much, much bigger one. The caller wants a much, much bigger one. Um, uh, and there are, you've got types called Arboreum, Grandiflorum, King George. You have dozens, but I suppose... I'm not giving you an exact answer, really, but just be aware, I suppose, when you're looking that there are so many different overall heights and overall spreads. Mm. If you want, if you want to, certainly feel free to get on to me on Facebook on the Irish Gardener, uh, and I'll, I'll, either I or the page followers will give you other suggestions. Okay, somebody says broken eggshells for slugs. It's another very good barrier product, yeah. broken eggshells and coffee grounds. Yeah, yeah, it did. it works as well. Um, okay, also. A question for Peter. Does cutting off peony leaves soon after flowering affect next year's blooms? Does cutting off peony leaves, that's a good question. I would say not particularly, no. I would think not, no. It's not like a bulb. It's a, it's a, it's a rhizome. It's a, it's a rhizome, rhizotamnus perennial. So, no, it shouldn't. Uh, now, on saying that, it, once the peony is finished flowering and if you cut off the foliage, it will produce more foliage because that's naturally what it wants to do. It won't produce more flowers, but I would certainly leave the second flush of foliage alone uh, and let nature take its course and let it die back then in the winter. What causes yellowing of dahlia leaves, says another listener? 
it's going to be a deficiency in something, either nitrogen or magnesium, without seeing it impossible to say. It could be waterlogged soil would do it as well, but it would be you'd see more symptoms than that. Um, if it's a new plant, if they're newly planted, it, it could actually be a bit of drought. I know we've had some rain in the last weekend, but before that it's been quite dry. Um, it could be drought, it could be magnesium or iron deficiency. Send me in a picture, maybe I'll have a look at it, or send it into yourselves in the radio station and we'll have a look at it. But in the meantime, I'd say get out there with the liquid plant food. It's called Nature Safe. So that's, again, as the label sounds, it, it's totally safe to use, totally organic, uh, and it's a very, very good liquid lawn feed to, to get our liquid plant feed to, to give plants to a kind of dailies. boost. Yeah. Mary and Kiss Game, could you ask Peter, please, what could be eating the flowers of my hydrangea, but not eating the leaves? I don't think it's slugs or snails. No, it wouldn't sound like slugs or snails either, particularly if it's not going at the leaves. If it, that's a good question. It wouldn't, it wouldn't either. I don't think it would be... Um, aphids, any of your green flower white flowers, they'd all feed on the leaves, they might feed on the flowers as well, but not specifically the flowers. The short answer to that one, Trish, is I don't know. So I will, as the fellow says, do my homework on it, and if you remind me next week, I'll come back to you with an answer on that, I'll ask around. Um, but I don't know if any of your listeners know, tell them ring in, and okay, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly put it up on Facebook, see if I can get a, a few answers. Okay, Helena says, hi Peter, I brought two shrubs last summer at the garden centre, Azalea japonica, a Magnolia Susan, both in full flower when I purchased them. Neither have flowered this year. What have I done wrong, says Alina? I was, I was going to hazard an answer at the Magnolia being too young to flower, but the fact that it was in flower when she bought yeah. it, that's not the case. So uh, I wouldn't panic anyway. The first thing is, provided the leaves are good and healthy, then the plant is fine. Sometimes they can, just the, the shock, for want of a better word, of moving uh, and being planted in their new home. Uh, can stop them from flowering for a year or two. But provided the leaf growth is all good, then I wouldn't be worried. Now, both of them, both the magnolia and the azalea, are the type of spring flowering plants which set their buds this autumn for opening next spring. So I would say in the autumn of this year, feed them with something quite high in potassium. A good sulfate of potash would do, again, the nature safe, which I referred to earlier, either the liquid or the granular form of the nature safe around the base of the plant, July, August, September time, sulfate of potash, anything like that. Because what that will do is the potassium and phosphorus in those will encourage the plant to, to set flower buds for next spring. There's no point feeding it in the spring because it's too late. So try that at this autumn, this late summer even, uh, and hopefully between that and the fact that they're a year established in your garden you'll have flowers should, should next, be flowering year. next year OK hi question for Peter please where's it gone uh, oh, sorry during the cold weather my tree fern got burnt the new fawns are now coming out do I cut off the old ones from Mike in Bantry short answer to a short question yes, yes. Just remove, the old ones should be removed every year they're going to go off and go tatty every year so that's, that's perfectly yeah, fine I, I leave remove. them on, until the new ones are out though because it yes, looks, very, it looks very bare otherwise it does it yeah. does uh, is uh, what is the correct time to cut back the pyracantha shrub, please? You know, I was only looking at a pyracantha yesterday somewhere in my travels, and it was it was cut perfectly around a, a, a cottage, around the windows, and everything, and it was perfect and in full flower. I was going to knock on the door and and ask for advice myself from <laughs> whoever's maintaining it. So the correct time to do it is uh, so they flower around now. And now those flowers will turn into berries, which will be enjoyed by the, the blackbirds and other wildlife during the winter. So it's it's a kind of a, a short enough period to cut back. So let's say January, February, when the, the berries are just finished, uh, that's when you cut it back. So it's kind of depending on the season. But I would say first half of February would be the time to do it. Middle of February would be the time to do it. 
Bridget and Donnerill is wondering, does Peter know why in so many supermarkets they have fresh flowers, but you'll see that the flowers are dead? And this isn't fresh flowers, these are flowers in, in I, I mentioned, for flowers. planting as well. Both and I, I say for both. Um, they don't seem to look after the flowers. It's not only here in Ireland, I've noticed it in the UK as well. And I'm assuming she's not talking about the cut flowers, I'm assuming she's talking about, you know, the way you can buy your Pot bedding plants. plants. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I have to agree with her, you, some of them look very tired and sad looking and dead. In the they do, and that's that's a, that's you know, yeah, that's a, a case of. I'm not. I don't wish to to have a go at supermarkets or anything, but like supermarket staff aren't horticulturists, not horticulturally trained. Plus, it's an artificial environment for the plants to be stored in, so they're essentially heated. They're going to dry out. They're outdoor plants. It's it's not an ideal situation at all to be storing your your to be stocking your your plants in. It's it's. I can't answer why they don't do it. Obviously, but um. It's not somewhere where I would buy my my garden plants, at or possibly all because, because they don't have trained horticulturists and gardeners. This is well, well, uh, yeah. And from the point of view of the staff, it's not a go at the staff. I'm sure the staff are given their rota of jobs to do in their mm. market, be it on the till or be it stocking a certain oil or whatever. Uh, you know, if the manager hasn't allocated a member of staff to to, to weed and top dress and to to be cutting back the the plants then they're not going to get yeah. done. It's not yeah. the staff's fault. Now, in a garden centre situation where the plants are being stocked outside, and this is the message that I was giving in both Mallow and Bloom over the last few weeks, the importance of getting locally grown plants is because they have been grown outside in a field in Limerick or Kildare or Dublin or Cork. So they stand a much better chance then of going growing in your garden. And when they're in somebody's garden centre, they don't just put them on the shelf and wait for somebody to buy them. They're maintaining them all the time. They're watering them, they're feeding them, they're pulling them back, they're deadheading them. It's not like stocking cornflakes or cans of Coke. The, the yeah. staff in the garden centres are minding those plants throughout. So you might pay a euro or two more, but even more often than not now, looking around, you don't pay any more for them in garden centres, but you're getting a far, far superior product. OK, advice on weed killer. I'll put two questions into one. Uh, is there a weed killer to kill weeds around roses without damaging the roses? And another listener, Paula, uh, says, is there a weed killer that's safe to use in a yard where a dog is kept? Um, I do, I'll answer both of them, but it's... It, it, it's it's up to both callers what they want to do. So glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, but also um, nearly every single weed killer that's on a garden centre shelf, uh, the active ingredient is glyphosate. So is it safe to use around roses? I'm not going to use the word safe, but it does become chemically inert, or it's said to become chemically inert when it hits the soil. Um so it won't get taken in by the roots of the rose bush, provided you don't hit the stem or the foliage of the roses. It will kill the weeds and won't get taken in through the, the root system. That's not to say it's safe. That's up to the caller to determine whether they think it's safe or not. Um, and the second question is the same. It, nearly every single weed killer contains glyphosate. As I say, it is said to become chemically inert when it hits the soil. If you think that's safe for your pets, it's a matter of opinion yeah. and I'm not being deliberately yeah, amazing here but every, know. everybody everybody knows the story at the moment about glyphosate and yeah. I would say for both callers pull up your sleeves get a shovel get a hoe do it by hand and apply a, a good covering of bark mulch or similar afterwards to, to keep down the weeds A question for Peter is it possible to get a blue stone mix for potato blight? Blue should be mix. it should be blue stone which is the copper sulphate Um it should be available, I would have thought, in most agricultural or co- agricultural stores or co-ops. Uh, I'm fairly certain Blocklands and Cork City do it after the St. Patrick's Church there. It is available. Uh, I, would think, I would think most of the co-ops do it. You can buy it as copper mixture 
in garden centres. It's not sold as copper sulphate or bluestone. It's just sold as copper mixture in relatively small quantities. So probably work out quite expensive for a large amount. Okay. Uh, but I would have thought that the co-ops would have it. All right. OK, so you're relaxing after all your garden festivals, are you? Time out. <laughs> back okay. to reality. Back to designing well other people's gardens, yeah. OK, yeah. we'll talk again next week. Thanks for that, Peter. Thanks, Trish. Thanks Bye-bye. for joining us. And somebody says, Dingle has the best toilets. You can have your dinner off the floor. So clean. Good job. Well done. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you uh, tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. Um, uh, we look forward to your company and tomorrow morning we have tickets to give away. It is a free ticket Thursday for Aslan and Nathan Carter. C103 Anthems. C103 Anthems. Man, I feel like a woman. The biggest songs of all time. C103 Anthems. Love is in the air. Songs that continue to inspire generations. C103 Anthems. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's greatest hits. C103. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.